Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to sports on a Sunday morning. There's a swing and a long one. That's a goner for Bader. Touchdown, Kansas City. Johnson pops a three. Oh, the Bayou Billiken says I'm involved too. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back. Sports on a Sunday morning. Tom Ackerman with you for a second hour. An important time for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. The 101st anniversary of the Negro Leagues was yesterday. The celebration continues through the weekend. And the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick, a guest on My Garage Happy Hour on the KMOX Sports Facebook page. We talked about a number of things, and I wanted you to hear some of this. He is a master storyteller. First, talking about one of our great friends who we lost uh, last year, and that is the Hall of Famer, Lou Brock. And, and Lou told some amazing stories, and some obviously about the legendary cool Papa Bell, who embraced him as soon as he arrived in St. Louis and wanted to meet with, with Lou and, and became kind of a confidant to Lou and taught him things about base stealing and base running that Lou said he had never seen in the book. And cool Papa Bell told him, because this ain't in the book. And, and Lou took it to heart. And, and I told this story, as you probably remember, at, at Lou's funeral. And uh, when Lou set the all-time stolen base record, who was there to celebrate with him? The legendary cool Papa Bell. And so they had pulled the base out the ground, and Cool's got the base in his hand. And they get a microphone to Cool, and Cool looks at Lou, and he says, well, Lou, we're going to give you this base because if we don't give it to you, you're going to steal it anyway. And so... <laughs> uh, so, you know, we miss Lou tremendously. And then the very next day, the legendary Tony Gwynn, also hearing a conversation on the art of hitting. And, and, and of course, we lost Tony way too soon. And, and so, but it was an amazing just an amazing week for us that was highlighted by you and the station being here and all these legendary ball players who stopped by to be part of the all-star game experience which helped make the negro leagues museum the star of the all-star game it really was and it is the star of kansas city it's an absolute must to go to the negro leagues baseball museum whenever you're in town we always encourage cardinals fans to go but baseball fans who are watching this around the country make sure they make a stop and see Bob. It is uh, absolutely worth it. I can't even imagine the stories that go through there. You know, you brought up Lou Brock, and um, yeah, you and I were uh, asked by the family to speak at the memorial service, which was a, a tremendous honor. It was There was so much sadness, but a celebration of an amazing life and the connection that he has 
uh, with your museum and uh, and Buck O'Neill. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, when I think of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and Bob Kendrick, I think of Buck O'Neill, who saw Lou Brock at Southern University when he was a freshman and said, I want that kid. And he stayed with it, didn't he? And he scouted Lou Brock and made him a Chicago Cup. He did. He did. And, and, and of course, you know, Lou was like a surrogate son to Buck, and along with Ernie Banks. Lou and Ernie Banks were his prodigal sons. And, and he basically raised both of them, you know, and he taught them, Tom, not only about baseball, but about life. You know, taught them how to dress, taught them social graces. And, and, and they never left too far away from Buck O'Neill. And because of that, Lou's presence was so great here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And old Buck was the last guy in lineup for the Cubs to sign off on the trade that would send Lou to Chicago. You know, as it turns out, one send Lou from Chicago to St. Louis. Yeah. As it turns out, it's one of the worst trades in baseball history. And so the Cubs came to Buck really as a courtesy they knew how close Buck and Lou were, and they decided that they wanted to trade Lou, of course, for Ernie Brolio, which on the surface didn't necessarily seem like a bad deal, except that Brolio was damaged goods at that time. And, and so they said, well, Buck, we got a chance to get Ernie Brolio, we got to trade Lou. And Buck said, well, I, we, we, need, we need some pitching. And, and Buck knew, Tom, that getting Lou over to St. Louis was going to be the best thing to happen for Lou. It was going to give him a chance to play every day so that he could really showcase this tremendous talent. You know, the potential was already there, but he needed a real chance to showcase that talent. And the Cubs had a crowded outfield at that time. So Buck signs off on the deal. Lou, of course, heads to St. Louis. The Cardinals immediately jump into contention, win the pennant, Lou goes on to be a Hall of Famer, and unfortunately, the times that we hear about Mr. Brolio, it is in this conversation about worst trades, and, and, and Buck would always say, every time he came to Bush Stadium, Cardinal fans <laughs> would give him a standing ovation, <laughs> uh, thanking him for the gift that just kept on giving. <laughs> oh, I love that. And you mentioned Cool Papa Bell. You know that Lou just loved and soaked in every moment of that. You know, the more I read and researched Cool Papa Bell through the years, the more I realized how much Lou was like him. In yeah. uh, Cool Papa Bell was named Cool because he was cool. I mean, he dressed he cool. He 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 acted yeah. cool, and he and he yeah. didn't show a lot of emotion necessarily where Lou did you ever see I know Lou was angry I know he was a great competitor but I never saw him upset he let stuff roll off his back and you know that uh, Lou Brock and so many had, had been through a lot in their careers oh yeah but you know he had that internal feel you know and, and it burned and he had this burning desire to be successful and, and he wasn't going to be denied a chance to be great and, and he was able to do that and it wasn't just in baseball. Lou Brock was a great human being, you know, and, and he was absolutely cut from the cloth of Buck O'Neill. And I mentioned this at his services. If you didn't know Buck and you knew Lou, you knew Buck. It, it was as simple as that. And, and so he was a joy to be around, 
man, my heart is still heavy. We miss him, you know, just as all the other guys that we lost last year and sadly lost, you know, this year, Henry Aaron was my all-time favorite Major League Baseball player. He was my childhood idol as a kid growing up in Crawfordville, Georgia, about 80 miles east of Atlanta. And, and so anytime, Tom, that we were on the same lot, I was going to be Henry Aaron. And all the other kids knew I was going to be Henry Aaron. And I'm sure they say, dang, why Bob always got to be Henry Aaron? But that was the way it was. And a lot of people did not know that his illustrious professional baseball career began in the Negro Leagues, 1952, with the Indianapolis Clowns. And my favorite picture of Mr. Aaron is a, is a relatively nondescript photograph of him standing at the train station in Mobile, Alabama. And Tommy must weigh 150 pounds at best. And there's this look of uncertainty on his face. And he's about to go leave to join the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro Leagues. At that time, he was a skinny, cross-handed hitting shortstop. So Henry Aaron was a right-hand hitter who was hitting with his left hand on top. That's unorthodox. The fear is that you would break your wrist hitting in that manner. Yeah. Well, Henry Aaron is knocking the cover off the baseball in a highly unorthodox fashion. Well, when he gets to the clowns, they put the right hand on top, and the rest, as we say, is history. He was shortly after discovered by the Boston Braves, who would become the Milwaukee Braves, who, of course, would become the Atlanta Braves. Henry Aaron will go down in this sport as one of his all-time greatest players. Some may argue it's greatest player because in a game of numbers, no one's numbers are better than Henry Aaron. But it all started in the Negro Leagues, 1952. And at the, the photograph, Tom, there's a small duffel bag kind of seated at his feet. And he told me, he says, Bob, I may have had two changes of clothes in that bag, a dollar fifty cents in my pocket, and a ham sandwich that my mama had made me. Going to go chase that dream. It worked out pretty well for the hammer. Well, yes, it did. 1952, <laughs> as you mentioned, uh, in the Negro Leagues, and five years before that, uh, American history. Uh, the Jackie yeah. Robinson. Uh, was signed and made his debut in the major leagues. And that changed everything, didn't it, Bob? It changed everything, uh, uh, not just in baseball. Baseball was just part of it in America. And um, what the, that story is something that everybody should research yeah. as far as you can because uh, it was an incredible effort. You talk about somebody who was a competitor and had a burning fire. Jackie Robinson had one, but he specifically – held back, didn't he? Because he, he knew that he had to. He had to. He had to humble himself. And and Jackie, as you mentioned, Tom, was as fiery and feisty an individual as you would ever meet. The late, great Buck O'Neill would say of Jackie that Jackie could Duke and would Duke. He'd <laughs> knock you on your rump, but he humbled himself for the greater good. This was completely out of character for Jackie Robinson to take the abuse that he was subjected to when he goes to join the Brooklyn Dodgers. 
yet Jackie had nearly been court-martialed from the U.S. Army for refusing to give up his seat to a white officer. So yeah, he, he, you know, he was a very strong-willed guy, but he humbled himself for the greater good. And there's no question that Jackie Robinson's breaking of Major League Baseball's six-decade-long self-imposed color barrier, it wasn't just a part of the civil rights movement, it was the beginning of the civil rights movement in this country. This is 1947. This is well before those more noted civil rights occurrences. So this is before Brown versus the Board of Education. This is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. As again, Buck O'Neill would so eloquently say, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was only a sophomore at Morehouse College when Robinson signed his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. And then President Truman would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. So for all intensive purposes, this is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country, baseball. And our country literally jumped on the coattail of baseball. But what it does is it speaks to the reference that baseball held and to a large degree still holds in our society. That's very well said. And, you know, you think at that time for some of our younger viewers right now that maybe don't know or maybe some of our viewers that, that don't realize everything was separate. Uh, Bob, Bob just mentioned the military, uh, bathrooms, restaurants, everything. hotels, schools, you name it. And yeah. yes, baseball. And um, baseball. And, and in 1920, so 100 years ago, Rube Foster started the Negro Leagues. Smart man, ball player, but also a very smart man. He had a, he had a great idea, didn't he, Bob? Brilliant. Rube Foster, Tom, was light years ahead of his time. Rube Foster, folks, would establish the Negro Leagues in a meeting that took place here in Kansas City, literally a stone's throw from my office right around the corner, a meeting that was held at the Paseo YMCA. As a matter of fact, this coming Saturday marks the 101st anniversary of the birth of the Negro League. Yeah, and they, eight independent black baseball team owners met there at the Paseo YMCA, and out of that meeting, the birth of the Negro National League, the first successful organized black baseball league. The Negro Leagues would then go on to operate amazingly for 40 years, man, from 1920 until 1960. And of course, that 1960 time frame surprises a lot of people because most of us at least recognize the fact that Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in 1947. And I think the consensus is, well, if Jackie breaks the color barrier in 1947, if there was a Negro Leagues, surely it must have ended in and around that time. Well, Tom, the leagues would go on to operate for another 13 years. Why? Because it took Major League Baseball 12 years before every Major League team had at least one Black baseball player. The Boston Red Sox would become the last team to integrate when they signed Elijah Pumpsey Green, and that would complete the integration cycle by 1960, the Negro Leagues finally closed its doors because by then the best young black stars had moved into the major leagues or into the major leagues minor league system 
and there was no replenishing system, so the leagues would dissolve. And you mentioned the Negro Leagues were successful. I mean, they were successful. I mean, they were playing in front of crowds. They were making money. They had lights uh, at night games uh, before the big league clubs did. And there were some phenomenal players. And you know what? It actually has taken a really long time for people to recognize, I think, how great these players were. Josh Gibson could play with anybody. Uh, Satchel Page did play with anybody. I don't know how old he was when he played, but (laughs) but he did. Uh, Satchel Page, uh, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. We mentioned Cool Papa Bell and so many others, Bob. Tremendous talent. I mean, Gibson... Yeah, I'd put him up there with uh, the best hitters of all time. Absolutely. And, Tom, when I hear someone, the likes of Monty Irvin, who I respected so greatly, and and keep in mind, Monty Irvin was a superstar in the Negro Leagues. And Monty Irvin could have been the first to break the color barrier. Matter of fact, he was the one that the owners thought should be the chosen one to break the color barrier. And quite frankly, Monty Irvin was a better baseball player than Jackie Robinson. And that's not disparaging Jackie Robinson. It is, again, the immense talent that called the Negro Leagues home. But when I hear someone of Monty's magnitude say, I played with Willie Mays. And he did. He played with Willie Mays over at the New York Giants. He was a mentor of Willie Mays, almost a father-like figure for Willie Mays. And I played against Henry Aaron. And neither of them are Josh Gibson. It just makes you wonder, damn, how good was Josh Gibson? Because when you're talking about Mays and Aaron, man, you're talking about arguably the two greatest baseball players in baseball history. And he believed that Gibson was even better. Perhaps the greatest combination of power and average this sport has ever seen. Because lost in the immense power was the fact that Gibson was a great hitter. Great hitter, lifetime batting average of 354. And in head-to-head competition against major leaguers in countless exhibitions, hit a remarkable 420. You know, and and he was doing it as a catcher. Yeah, catchers don't do that. They're not supposed to do that. And he wasn't a good catcher. He was a great catcher. Rifle arm. They say he's throwing guys out from the crouch back in that era. So, again, think of the defensive skills of your guy, Yadier Molina, packaged with the bat of a Babe Ruth and and a Ted Williams. Because Buck said he had Ruth's power and Ted Williams' eye. He just put the ball in play, and he put it in play with a lot of power. His outs, as we say in the game, were loud outs. Yeah, the third baseman and the shortstop, they were damn near in left field when Gibson came <laughs> up. They were willing to give him that bunt. Johnson, if you want a bunt, you can have it. Yeah, man, he was, you know, and, and to think that mainstreamly, we missed that. We, we missed that opportunity to see all of the great talent play together on one field in, in the major leagues. The best of the Blacks, Hispanic, and white players you know, doing their thing collectively. We didn't get that until 1947, or at least that was the basis for it to start to happen. What would have happened had the doors opened sooner? I think it's a very, very important thing to think about, and it's something to think about today. Bob, 
a couple things I want to mention before we go, and I wish I had uh, even more time to spend with you. I don't want to take up all of your night, but you're you're wonderful, and I always enjoy hearing you talk about baseball history, and, and the Negro Leagues are a huge part of baseball history, and I think it's very important for us to not only visit the museum, but find a way to support the museum, to talk about the museum, to grow. That is uh, a walk through American history yeah. and to provide funds for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. If you're so able to do that, I would love for people to go to your website and do that. And Bob, what can we do? This is a question that's hard I, maybe to answer, but maybe you can. What can we do to continue to grow this game that we love? to grow the game of baseball and to keep it going for years and years? Well, I think we have to continue doing exactly what you're doing now, talking this game up. You know, I don't think any sport, Tom, hold to holds to its history the way baseball does. It is by far the most romanticized sport of them all. And, and we have to keep promoting our game and promoting our game in every corner that we can, every walk of life. And we've got to continue to make sure that all our children have an opportunity to experience this game because you learn so much about yourself in this sport. This game at its crux is a game of failure. You fail more times than you succeed in this sport. You know, you know the deal. If you get three hits every 10 trips to the plate, you are a Hall of Famer. And, and there's, there are so many life lessons that we draw from from this sport in particular because it is a game of failure and it is a wonderful way to help mold and build quality citizens, citizens great integrity those who can con continue to contribute to advancing our society a and so we want to continue to grow this game and we want to make sure that all children you know urban kids don't really have full access to this game and we've got to continue to bridge the economic gap so that they can. And, and, and my hope is that they'll get the opportunity to come to a place like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and see themselves in all of its glory, in all of their glory. You know, we're talking about some of the greatest that ever played this game. But Tom, not only did they play the game, they owned teams. They were managers. They were coaches. They were traveling secretaries. They were team physicians. They fulfilled every role that you could fulfill within the business of this game. And so it is important that urban kids understand that they do indeed have a proud legacy in this sport, and we need to continue to tout that, and we continue to need to find ways that our kids can play this game and so that we can keep this game the great game that it is. What a beautiful visit with Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. What an incredible answer there. What an incredible man. And thank him uh, over and over for what he does for baseball and what they do for baseball and, and uh, at the museum. And I hope that you do stop by the museum. They have an incredible staff, great people in Kansas City whenever you can or make a donation. When we come back, John Mosaylock is with us, Cardinals president of baseball operations. I'm Tom Ackerman, sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah! On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Tom Ackerman with you. We're joined live by the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mosaylock, and we are right around the corner from doing this for real. 
And in some ways, and good morning, John, it, it seems like uh, we just ended the season, but in others, uh, it has been a long, patient uh, off season. Well, most people have been patient uh, to get through this. And, and here we are on February 14th. Yeah, I don't think you should be speaking for me. I thought it was a very long off season, and uh, <laughs> last year's season feels like it was years ago. So you know, obviously, when I got back down to Jupiter last night, I you know it sort of struck me as literally have not been here for eleven months, and you know my normal routine throughout the year is I usually come back down here um, to visit our minor leagues a few times and perhaps even participate in a, a few different camps. So not being here for those 11 months was, was quite striking. And to go to the ballpark this morning, walk the backfields, just, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not going to rub in the 80-degree uh, weather that we're experiencing because I know how cold it is back home. But it, it, it was, a, you know, a special feeling. And, you know, today all of our staff participated in the intake process and, and so now we'll we'll await those results and then hopefully uh, be cleared to enter the ballpark on Tuesday, which will just uh, where we'll have a few meetings before we um, really get going uh, on the 17th. Yeah, it sure is nice to have baseball again. So uh, do you what's your reaction to the change in the schedule as they will go with this system of playing teams close to you geographically? Right thing to do? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that's very difficult is, is travel in a pandemic. And until we're completely vaccinated, it's going to be hard to, to say you want to throw people on a four-hour bus ride. So I think the, the schedule change is fine. I, I think the uniqueness of having you play four off on the fifth is actually not a bad thing. So it'll allow us to sort of be able to time our pitching a little better. Um, likelihood is we will be playing nine inning games on this side because of the extra off days. But, um, you know, you will see some teams probably out in Arizona, Arizona play as little as five in a game. That's good. Uh, you have a roster that is set. You actually made a couple of moves. Let me get to that first. Uh, 6'9", 255-pound pitcher is uh, really something to behold, especially when he throws, uh, d- d- what, upper 90s. Uh, tell me about Johan Quezada and about the uh, – catcher that you have acquired as well announcing Ali Sanchez uh, from the Mets in exchange for cash considerations yeah I mean obviously we have some roster space right now and you know we're just trying to be opportunistic on on some things that are out there happening right now and so from the pitching standpoint obviously it's a big arm you know obviously you gotta like harness that but we felt like it was a, a, a good thing to try and reports on him were, were very positive so ultimately we're going to give him an opportunity with us and in the catching standpoint you know we were actually a little thin on the catching side especially the upper levels and so that was more of a an opportunity to give us some protection he does have options so it gives us a little more flexibility as well but you know he's a good defensive catcher and uh, you know it's always nice to have someone that's a phone call away if needed uh, when, you, when you think about that position Absolutely. I'm here in Springfield right now where it's three degrees. Uh, I'm calling a basketball game here later today for Missouri State. I look forward to coming back down here when it's 80 degrees warmer and seeing some of your prospects. The minor league system, to have that back, and let's cross our fingers that everything is fine, but to have baseball again uh, would be very special to see some of these prospects. This is uh, 
a, a minor league season that could get interesting to see who makes those moves. We just talked about uh, the catcher position, but you do have uh, some that you'll be keeping an eye on. I guess the, the name that pops to me most is Nolan Gorman. What do you see for Nolan uh, here in 2021? Well, I think this year is going to be an adjustment for him and trying to find a position that he feels comfortable with. Um, and that's something, obviously, we'll start working on on day one. But, you know, I, I think it's our cross that we even if it's abbreviated from, from the norm. But last year was, was really difficult for all these young men that just weren't getting that opportunity. So, um, fingers crossed that, that we can find a way to operate and uh, not only operate, but operate in the home cities. I mean, that would be really great for, for these smaller towns to have baseball back. So there's two things going on there. One is, you know, we need that development opportunity. And, and two, we need that opportunity for, for the cities to, to put baseball back on for their communities. John, last week we talked about Jack Flaherty and the arbitration process and how, you know, it is a business and the hope is that uh, everything works out okay and that nobody feels, I guess, bruised by it. It, it can't be, and the reports came out that, that he won that arbitration case. Um, it can't be an easy process or a comfortable process for either side. Well, knowing that it's a business, um, how do you handle that from, uh, do you have to take emotion out of it? And how do you deal with that from, a, from that side? Well, a lot of it is now you, you end up using outside counsel to help argue the case. Um, look, it's, it's hard to avoid not hurting someone's feelings in that particular environment, but, you know, obviously they won their case and you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, that that takes a little bit of the sting out of it. Um, and they should feel good about that. You know, and ultimately for us, I mean, it's, you know, we went into it knowing that there's a chance you could lose. So, you know, we accept uh, the arbiter's decision and uh, ready now to move on and, and play baseball. A couple of quick things for you before we go. On that note, the rotation, uh, how do you see that playing out at least initially? We know who four of your starters are with KK and Wayno joining Jack and Miles, assuming that Miles is going to be fine coming out of uh, his offseason. And then uh, it's it's open, isn't it? I mean, it, you have some depth there, and you have an opportunity to, to show that depth all year and some flexibility. Well, that's the hope. Um, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are coming to this camp that are hoping to get stretched out, you know, from the John Gans to the Cabreras. Uh, obviously, Ponce de Leon is someone who's been a starter. So there are guys that are looking for those innings. And, and that's probably the biggest challenge of the schedule change for us is, is how can we backfill for that. And so we're likely going to have to do some B games or some inner squad on the backfields to accomplish that. But a lot of depth. Good news is these guys understand if they don't have that starting role that they can still be useful um, in terms of the bullpen role. So obviously a, a lot of decisions will have to be made over the, the course of the next six weeks, but um, the good news is we think we have some, some really good options. And finally, John, uh, Yadier Molina is back, and what a great uh, finish to at least this portion of the offseason as you head into spring training to know that number four is back with you. I know that was a process. You talk about I thought it was a very long offseason too. Of course, uh, I think everybody did, but uh, to get him to this point took a while, didn't it? But here it is. Look, when, when, when people experience free agency for the first time, it, it's, it's a unique experience. And 
Um, you know, some people enjoy the process. Some people hate it. Um, it's not for everybody. And for us, we're fortunate because we were able to, to get Yachty back. And, you know, we really think we're going to have a good club this year. And, and having him anchor our pitchers makes a lot of sense for us. So, you know, we're thrilled that that, that could happen. And, uh, you know, I just look forward to seeing all these guys uh, in person here and uh, you know, turning the page from the off season and, and really starting to think about 2021. Glad you're there. Glad the team is getting back together and we have baseball once again. And we always appreciate these visits, John Mosellock. Thank you, Mo, for the time. All right. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. Joining us from Jupiter, Florida. That's great. Baseball is right around the corner. We'll take a break. We'll go right back to the topic of Florida, Daytona. The Daytona 500 is today. Kenny Wallace will be with us next on Sports on a Sunday Morning. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah! On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Tom Ackerman back with you. We have talked baseball this entire hour. I know that would be totally fine with our next guest if we had to do that, and that's Kenny Wallace. Great Cardinals fan, St. Louis and former NASCAR driver, still driving. Uh, he's all over the place. I follow him on social media, and I see him out there working on his cars and driving and uh, following baseball. Gosh, let's get out of this cold weather and get going here, Kenny. How are you? Well, first of all, Tom, thanks for having me on the uh I always tell you how big of a fan I am of Camo X. I know you are too, so thanks for having me on. Oh, man, it's great to have you on, and, and I try to have you on every time this year. Uh, by the way, this is my first ever Garage Happy Hour guest. This is the man who got it going. Yeah. This is the guy <laughs> right here. And so I, it was Steve Moore, our program director, came to me and he said, hey, I really like this Garage Happy Hour concept. You've done two shows, and I was interacting with the listeners and answering questions. It was fun. He said, what if you had a guest, though? He said, you know, would that change it up a little bit? Could you do a split screen and have a guest? So we worked with our digital department, and Sam Masterson, our producer, had the platform. We put together a visit with Kenny Wallace. He accepted, and the show took off. So I credit you, my friend. Thank you. Cheers. Well, I'm honored because the people – that came after me, I'm not in their category. You have had absolute legends, <laughs> people that have changed the sports forever. So, oh, my gosh, I don't belong. But, listen, I'm happy that I could be a small part of it. You are the man. Uh, I brought you on uh, f- to talk about the Daytona 500, which uh, it's been drizzling in Daytona Beach today, but they do have lights. I mean, they can run that thing tonight <laughs> if they have to. Uh, what are you hearing? What's the latest? Well, let's just go over everything first of all. Uh, It is Florida. It rains every day down there, uh, even in the wintertime. And Daytona International Motor Speedway is a world-class facility. As you said, they have lights. They will go as late as they can. I know NASCAR. I know the president. I talked to them. uh, And listen, their rule is this. They will go to the bitter end. And what that means is if they got to start the Daytona 500, let's say 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, you know, uh, that's what they'll do. They'll wait it out. However, uh, you know, there will be a limit if if they see that the forecast shows rain coming uh, and they won't be able to get in. Then the, the NASCAR rule, Tom, is this. In the rule book, it says next clear day. 
I've been in NASCAR before, actually up in Michigan, where it got rained out on Sunday, rained out on Monday, and we raced on Tuesday. So they will run the Daytona 500. We just have to wait and see what that crazy Florida weather does. That's right. You know, Kenny, because of the rain, they weren't able to practice yesterday. But I'll tell you, they've discovered something during this pandemic. Uh, may, and maybe this sticks. They, they might need, not need to practice every single day. Maybe they just figure out a way to get in the cars and go on Sunday. I believe all sports has learned something through this pandemic. You know, all of us, whether it's NHL, MLB, I mean, whatever it is, we all got in a rut. And we thought, well, this is just the way we do things. Lo and behold, we've realized, you know, uh, not just NASCAR, how much time and money that we have been wasting costing, you know, NASCAR teams millions of dollars. So what they found out was this, kind of like people in the office, right? If you come into your work every day and all you do is get on a computer, why can you not just do that from home? You know, we're burning less fuel. You know, insurance rates go lower because, you know, not everybody's on the road. Uh, So NASCAR found out that instead of bringing these teams in there on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and finally race on a Sunday, uh, they did something last year that everybody went, oh, my Lord, let's see how this works. They literally showed up at the racetracks, and the drivers sat in their rental cars or their passenger cars because of the pandemic, and they walked straight to their race cars, got in them, and they dropped the green flag with absolutely no practice. And I got to tell you, it shocked everybody. It worked out very well. And then it worked out so well that these car owners like Roger Penske or Jack Roush or the great Joe Gibbs, Super Bowl champion who now owns NASCAR race teams, they all got together and they said, hey, even when the pandemic ends and when it does end, we like this. And so – they have learned that we've been overdoing it, so uh, we'll see what happens in the future. But I do know that they're gonna they're gonna calm things down. The, the drivers and teams do not need that much practice, that many nights in hotel rooms per diem, and so uh, it's been a big learning process. Yeah, it's interesting. There's going to be adjustments uh, across the board, as you said, and in baseball too. And I can't let you go without asking you about your Cardinals, who made a monster move to get Nolan Arenado. I know you love the Blues, too, and the Blues got that overtime win last night, but how about your St. Louis Cardinals? What in the world? They they have put themselves in a much better position now, haven't they? Well, they sure have. You know, I've been following along, listening to Camel X every day, and I'll admit it, I'll be the, I'll be the voice for the fans. We, we all were getting nervous. You know, one by one, we watched Colton Wong leave. We watched Dexter Fowler leave. You know, uh, everybody was just kind of leaving. And we're like, "What are we? how, how are we going to replace them? Uh, you know, we'd get a player here or there, but nobody that really moved the needle. So now with this incredible signing of Nolan, uh, I mean, you know, uh, this moved the needle. This calmed the whole city down. Everybody loves to win again, <laughs> and Mo. <laughs> so uh, it, 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 you know, they they can take they can take uh, a lot of criticism. I know that, but uh, they sure have made St. Louis happy. And uh, you know, I've, I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Uh, when you see Wayno and you see Yachty happy and jacked up, that means they know something. You know, so I'm excited about opening opening day. Heck, I'm, I'm excited for spring training right at this moment, you know. So uh, 
Yeah. Uh, here we go. Here we go. I'm excited for opening day. Absolutely. You said something a long time ago that stuck with me about the Cardinals, that when the Cardinals are good, it's good for St. Louis. And why is that? You said because that hat says STL on it, and that's a big deal. When the Cardinals are good and they have that national audience and forum, it's an STL. Everyone gets to see it, and it's big, big, big for the city. And, Kenny Wallace, when you said that, I thought about that. I always have. The Daytona 500 is today at 1.30, but if it continues to rain, they'll run that thing when they're ready, <laughs> when they're clear. They're going to run it, the great American race. Uh, Kenny Wallace, thank you so much for being with us on KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Love KMOX. Go Cardinals and go Blues. Yes, sir. And thank you to our producer, James O'Sullivan. Have a great Valentine's Day. Love you all. Talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.